Hello, my friends. Today I go through the morning after the night before of the U.S. election. I ask the question, well, it's one thing to lose an election, but what's it like to be robbed of an election? It's a question a lot of Republicans are surely asking themselves now. But before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. It's just eight bucks a month or 80 if you buy the whole year in advance. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. And it's another way to support Rebel News because, of course, we don't take a dime from any politician. All right, here's the podcast today. Tonight, Republicans can accept losing an election, but just don't think they accept being robbed of an election. It's November 4th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. We don't yet know who won the U.S. presidential election. That's an incredible thing to say. But we know who lost the experts of the political class. The pollsters, the pundits, the panelists on CNN, they all got it wrong. They all talked about Trump being destroyed, about a landslide for Biden. They talked about winning the White House and the Senate and the House of Representatives. And that just did not happen. It looks like the Republicans will lose nets. One Senate seat, so they'll still retain control. And incredibly, the Republicans look like they picked up a few seats in Congress. As I write this, results aren't fully in, but that's how it is right now as I read this. Um, in the last few days, Trump crisscrossed America very strategically, back and forth amongst Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Florida. And wouldn't you know it, those were exactly the key battleground states for him. He needed mighty Florida, and he got it. Incredibly, Latinos voted for him en masse, especially those who had fled the Cuban communist regime. And a new cohort of Venezolanos, those who fled Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro from Venezuela. I love that Latinos for Trump music video ad makes me want to dance. But look at this. Look at the 2016 election results for Miami-Dade County. It's a huge county, lots of Latino voters. Hillary crushed Trump there. Huge margin in 2016. But look at it last night. Trump almost closed the gap. It was so close. If my math is right, 200,000 more people in that town went to Trump. It didn't flip the county to red, but it ensured that statewide Trump won handily. Isn't that fascinating? I guess they saw the socialism twinkling in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's eyes and realized we've seen this movie before. If you live in Cuba or Venezuela, you have somewhere to run. You can run to America. But if you live in America, you, are, you have nowhere left to run. Uh, that result came up quickly in Florida. Trump picked up the states that he needed to and didn't seem to lose any along the way. And it came down to those states of the Midwest where he had campaigned furiously. Ohio, automakers, fracking, Trump nailed it. And as the night went on, he took the lead in Wisconsin, took the lead in Michigan, took the lead in Pennsylvania. All Rust Belt states that Trump had carried last time. He needed at least two of them this time. And what made it extra interesting was that Trump was doing well with minority voters. Not just Latinos, Trump's support amongst black men and women, Latino men and women, gay men and women rose dramatically. It was the highest support from minorities for a Republican since the 1960s. Would that help him in places like Philadelphia or Detroit? Maybe. 
Trump was actually leading until they just stopped counting votes. Hang on, hang on. It's, it's election night and you're, and you're tired because it's late? You didn't know maybe it was going to be election night? You didn't have four years to plan? You, you need your beauty sleep? You need, to, you need to go home now and you're just... You're just shutting down and going home. They did, because these are Democratic governors who count the votes for the national presidential debate. So it was shut down. It was frozen. Trump was in the lead everywhere. But Biden, at a press conference, he spoke first. He said he was on the track to win. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, it was going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we, uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted, every ballot is counted. But we're feeling good. We're feeling good about where we are. We believe one of the nets has suggested we've already won Arizona, but we're confident about Arizona. That's a turnaround. Including in Arizona, but in fact, that wasn't true. Arizona was very much in contention. As I write this, various news agencies have retracted their premature conclusion that Arizona went to the Democrats. Who knows? But boy, it sure seemed like the media was eager to declare a state for Biden, but slow to declare one for Trump. Maybe they just couldn't believe it. You know, if the media had set up, uh, for example, the New York Times, they set up a website with lists of states that they thought were battlegrounds. They had a few different gradations, um, states that would be for sure for Biden, like California. Leans Biden, toss up. Leans Trump or for sure Trump. But they were wrong on all, all of them except for the for sure Bidens. Trump exceeded all expectations. Like I say, uh, the media lost, the pundits lost, the pollsters lost, except for unlike the politicians, they didn't lose their jobs, did they? Maybe the media companies were slow to recognize Trump's successes because it was their own failure that was demonstrated, or maybe because it was Biden's failure that was demonstrated. And of course, the media, as always, are auxiliaries of the Democrats, like they are of the Liberal Party in this country. Now, that allowed Biden to preposterously say he was on the road to victory. Preposterous in that at that moment, Trump was, in fact, leading in enough states to make it not even close. Here's the CBC's homepage at that wonderful moment. But like I say, in the dead of night, so many things happened, like more than 100,000 votes simply being dumped into the Democratic category in the dead of night. Does that make sense? 100% of them went into the Democrat column. Is, is, that, is that right? I, I thought they had stopped counting. At night. How, how did that work? And what's with this? This is the Pennsylvania Attorney General, a Democrat, Tweeting before the vote even began, he said, if all the votes are added up in Pennsylvania, Trump is going to lose. That's why he's working overtime to subtract as many votes as possible from this process. For the record, he's 0 for 6 against us in court. We've protected voting rights. Now ignore the noise vote. Okay, hang on. How, how does the attorney general know in advance that his party was going to win? Is that a responsible thing to say if you were the senior lawmaker for a state that you were going to win before the votes are even cast? Is that a guess by him or a, or a prediction or a statement or is it a command to everyone who works with him in the state, everyone counting the ballots? You're the attorney general. You're the one who's rigged the rules. Imagine if a Republican attorney general said that in a battleground state, let's say like Florida. And then surprise, 
announced literally millions more votes to come, but only after you figured out how many votes you need to beat Trump. Republicans lose and abide the loss. It's part of the rule of law, the conservative belief in rules. If you agree to the rules of a game in advance, and if the game is played fairly, you take the loss. But what if the rules were changed by lawyers at the last minute? And what if they were clearly applied in a way that was unfair and secretive? What if Republican vote scrutineers are kicked out? Here's an image of of windows in a vote count room being boarded up so no one can see. What if this was the same jiggery pokery that the Democrats are famous for in their big cities since forever? Then it's not magnanimous to take the loss because you didn't lose fair and square. Then it's not being the strong, silent type to take the loss. Then it's being, in the words of Joe Biden, well, it's being a chump. I'll work as hard for those who don't support me as those who do, including those chumps with the microphone out there. Speaking of Joe Biden, he says so many things that are ridiculous. It's hard to know what's real and what was a, a gaffe or a brain fart. I, I think this is the latter. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. Yeah, I don't think he meant to say that. I think that was an accident. But what about this? Secondly, we're in a situation where we have put together and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. I think that was an accident. Who knows with Joe Biden? But if the Democrats would do anything, say anything to derail a Supreme Court appointment, like literally accuse a judge in front of his family of being a serial rapist when he was in college with no factual basis, no evidence. If you would smear a man that way in front of his family, in front of the country, just to stop the appointment of him to the court. If you would riot and burn down your own cities just to own the orange man and sow feelings of chaos in the community. If you would do that during non-election times, imagine what you would do during elections themselves. I read that some Senate races saw Democrats spending more than $100 million on one Senate race, just for one Senate seat. I can't even fathom that. North Carolina, for example, barely 10 million people in the state, so it's about the size of Alberta plus BC, population-wise. Imagine spending $100 million on a single candidate in something that small, and losing, by the way. So yeah, they would literally do anything to beat Trump. And they despise him with the fire of a hundred sons. Trump said what he saw. He was being robbed. It's not a matter of counting every vote. It's a matter of counting every legal vote, every verifiable vote. Not every vote found, surprisingly, 4 a.m. when the scrutineers were sent home. We have, we have so many. We had such a big night. You just take a look at all of these states that we've won tonight. And then you take a look at the kind of margins that we've won them by. And, and all of a sudden, it's not like we're up 12 votes and we have 60% left. We won states, and all of a sudden, I said, what happened to the election? It's off. And we have all these announcers saying, what happened? And then they said, oh, because you know what happened? They knew they couldn't win, so they said, let's go to court. And did I predict this, Newt? Did I say this? I've been saying this from the day I heard they were going to send out tens of millions of ballots. I said exactly because either they were going to win or if they didn't win, they'll take us to court. 
So Florida was a tremendous victory, 377,000. Texas, as we said. Ohio, think of this. Ohio, a tremendous state, a big state. I love Ohio. We won by 8.1%, 461,000. Think of it. Almost 500,000 votes. North Carolina, big victory with North Carolina. And so we won there. We lead by 76,000 votes with almost nothing left. And all of a sudden, everything just stopped. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? It's, it's a very sad... It's a very sad moment. And all of this, all of this curiosity, all this newness and the rigged rules, the changed rules, all the risk and irregularity, the stopping the count when Trump was ahead. Well, on top of all of that, Twitter and the social media companies just started to censor anyone who questions what went on. Imagine that trust is low to begin with in America. Trust was lowered by rejigging the voting rules by lawyer. Trust was lower still when the count was surprisingly stopped and, and then restarted. And now social media companies? are banning you from asking simple questions, banning the president himself. Look at this simple question the president asks. And you have to click through Twitter's warning to see what he was referring to. Twitter will not let you see it. You have to click view after you read a warning. And then you have to click through the next warning to see what he was referring to. And then on and on. It literally takes six clicks and six warnings to get to the hidden truth. When I was a kid, politicians censored the media. Now the media censors politicians. I don't think that's an improvement. I don't know how this is going to end. If it were the shoe on the other foot, Republican governors foiling a Democratic candidate in a battleground state, let's say Florida tried to rig the rules there. They didn't. But let's say they would have. There would be 100 riots across America now against rule rigging by Republicans. But that's not what Republicans do. I don't know. Maybe everything in this election really is legit. I suppose that's technically possible, but this is the crew of destroyers. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They spent the last four years refusing to accept Trump's 2016 victory. They undermined him. They impeached him. They accused him of everything. But after the fact, it was evident that they were actually accusing him of doing everything that they themselves were doing. And so it will be here. Joe Biden falsely declared himself the winner. Trump objected, and yet Trump is the one being called the fascist the liar. And America's reputation as the epitome of democracy is being eroded, not just in the eyes of the world. I mean, of course, they're laughing, they're loving this in China, but I'm talking about in the eyes of Americans themselves. Half the country didn't lose last night. Half the country is being robbed in slow motion, and they see it. And that's a very different feeling than losing, isn't it? Stay with us for more.
were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at 4 o'clock in the morning and add them to the list, okay? That was Donald Trump very late last night saying that there's a little bit of, well, as Joe Biden would put it, malarkey going on. Joining us now via Skype from Los Angeles, deep blue territory, is our friend Joel Pollack, senior editor-at-large at Breitbart.com. Joel, I think uh, the story of the night until around, I don't know, 2 a.m., was Trump was slowly but surely putting together his path to victory. Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, uh, Iowa. And then in those key states where he had a frenzied campaign in the last week, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all of a sudden, they stopped counting. They discovered millions more ballots. They said this is going to take days. Donald Trump thinks he's being robbed. What do you think? It's hard to know. And I think Republicans will feel that this entire process is a kind of theft because, as you and I have discussed before, the changes that were made at the behest of Democratic lawyers to allow this vote by mail system in states that didn't have it before or to expand it in states that had it but on a limited scale and to relax the rules and so forth. That was key to Democratic Party plans on election day and the weeks leading up to it. And Trump has been warning for months that they would try to use it to deny him a victory on election night and then claim victory in the days that followed. So on a macro level, in terms of overall process, I think it is a form of theft in the sense that these rules were changed largely without the consent of the electorate. In a couple of states that are already governed by Democrats, the state governments went along with some of the changes. But in general, these changes were imposed on people and the standards vary from state to state, even within democratic governed states, depending on what the court's decisions were in different states or in different federal circuits. So it's all a mess. And Democrats appear to have intended it to turn out that way because they had lawyered up months ago led by this guy named Mark Elias, who was also the lawyer who funded the Fusion GPS opposition firm that created the Russia dossier back in 2016. So a lot of the same bad characters are returned. I don't mean that as a, an aspersion on his personal character. I have no idea if he's a nice person or not, but the tactics he's used are, are certainly shady. Mm -hmm. And and so that's now um, being cited by the president and by his supporters as an example of a kind of theft or, or fraud. And I think they have a coherent case. At the same time, I think the Biden campaign is making a coherent case that if you just take the ballots that were cast, they feel that they likely have a path to 270 electoral votes. That's not clear yet. And the ballots are still being counted. We may know some more results in the next few hours, next few days. The election is still very much up in the air. Joel, today the president tweeted a very short question, and he was referring to uh, a, a tweet with an image of a vote count, I think it was in Michigan, that suddenly 
over 100,000 new votes were just discovered and added to the Democrat column, 100% of them, and there was over 100,000 of them, and Trump simply said, what's going on here? And he was retweeting someone else who said, this alone is worth going to court to explain, and yet Twitter censored the president, censored the person the president was retweeting, censored the person he was retweeting. You had to click, yes, I want to view this dangerous information. You had to click it six times to get all the way to the root of it. Um, That just makes me feel like there's more rigging going on because you're not even allowed to ask questions about the anomalies. We're in an anomalous situation, um, perhaps unprecedented in America. A lot of people are gonna have questions. Let the questions be asked and let them be answered by trying to muffle the question asking. It sure looks like there's a rigging going on, either by social media companies or Democrats, or maybe that's even the same thing these days. What do you make about the fact that anyone who talks about this mess is being called a disinformation liar? Well, I don't like the practice of social media companies labeling political tweets they don't like. In that case, all the president was doing was asking a question, and the person who put that tweet up probably shouldn't have done it because I think it's a general good practice not to make accusations of voter fraud when we really just don't know what's going on, at least on the on the micro level. As I said earlier, my criticism is of the process at a macro level, which Republicans feel, and I think with justification, to be a kind of fraud or theft. but. On the micro level, we just don't know. It's very, very difficult sitting in Texas or Los Angeles or Washington, D.C. even, to know what's going on when ballots are being counted in Michigan. And in this case, the person who put up that tweet later deleted it. They were apparently in contact with someone in Michigan who explained that there was a typo in local reporting. And so there was a misreport of the number of ballots or the percentage for Joe Biden. What is happening is if you look at the graph, there's a graph that's circulating out there of votes over time, Biden goes up in these discrete little jumps. And that's because he is getting piles of mailed in ballots adding added to his total. Not all of the uh, mail in ballots go for Joe Biden, but he is winning them by enough of a margin that it looks more pronounced on the graph. That is to say, Trump will go up, but it looks more like a regular increase on the curve. And Biden goes up by so much that it looks like a discrete vertical leap. So it looks a little odd. And it reinforces the idea that this vote by mail process, which is new in many states, is really an invitation for chaos. Remember that Traditionally, the people who want to vote show up to vote or request an absentee ballot. Voting is not something you're required to do in the United States, so it's not really universal. The the electorate is the electorate that decides to show up. What Democrats did in these states, and again, only in the states they wanted to win, they didn't do this everywhere, although they tried to do it on a federal level in a a bill that had other malevolent uh, intentions. What they did in these battleground states was they vastly expanded the potential electorate. And Donald Trump called it out from the beginning, saying this is going to be a huge problem. And they now appear to have reaped the results of that strategy in Michigan, in Wisconsin, maybe in Pennsylvania, other states where this was part of their strategy. 
Now, again, we don't know what the final result is going to be, but I've, I've been out there saying that in close elections like this, we should not leave the decision up to lawyers or unelected judges or local ballot counting officials, or even to electors of the elector, electoral college who uh, have been subject to threats and pressure before. I think we should leave this to the House of Representatives to decide. We actually have a provision in the Constitution that hasn't been used since 1824 that allows the House of Representatives to choose the president in the event that there's some kind of a deadlock. And each state gets one vote in the House and each state casts its vote and the candidate with a majority wins and becomes the president. We used it in 1824 to elect John Quincy Adams, who was a single term president, not a particularly good president. But that's how we should do this. We should do this because it's the only way to make sure that the people choosing the president have to face the voters again. It's the only way to make sure there's some accountability. And Democrats will probably push back on it because Republicans have the majority of state delegations in the House of Representatives, even if right now, at least, they have a numerical minority, a very small numerical minority. But I would be happier with that process, even if Joe Biden wins. I don't like the idea of having unelected lawyers, judges, and so forth pick our president. And I can tell you with, with great credibility, uh, Ezra, that I would accept the result if it went the other way, because back in 2000, when I was still a Democrat and having just graduated from university and Bush versus Gore was deadlocked, I had exactly the same opinion. I thought that it should not have gone to the courts because the courts are sacrosanct in a way. The judiciary is supposed to be independent. And that case, Bush versus Gore, did diminish the judiciary in the eyes of many people in the United States. It allowed Democrats at least to permanently politicize debates about the judiciary. And it should have been decided in the House of Representatives, even though at the time, had the House decided the presidency, it would have gone to George W. Bush anyway. But I agreed with the minority view of Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court, who then said uh, said at the time that the court should not have taken up that, that case. And I think it should have been left in the chaos it was in and either awarded to George Bush on the basis of Florida's decision, or if you leave Florida out and there's no majority, uh, it should have gone straight to the House of Representatives. I, I actually think the framers of our Constitution knew what they were doing. They knew that there would be situations like this. They probably couldn't have imagined uh, mail-in ballots, which I think is a unique practice, practically speaking, in, in the United States, and I don't recommend it for other countries. It's a complete disaster. I mean, third world countries don't even do this. Uh, but, you know, the framers gave us a solution. I, I don't know how popular it will be, but perhaps if this gets tied up in the courts and the Electoral College can't decide, this will become the way we have to go. Was you know, the phrase Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, we heard that also with Obama. I mean, some people were extremely emotionally opposed to Obama. Same with George W. Bush before him. Partisans can be very revved up. And uh, I'm probably one of them, frankly. Um, but I, I think that I observe that when John McCain lost to Obama and when Mitt Romney lost to Obama, uh, I think Republicans and foreigners who support Republicans like me thought, well, fair's fair. Uh, they ran the rules of the game. There may have been marginal cases of cheating, but they actually got thumped by the guy. All right, let's fix things, do better next time. And one of the remedies was the Republican Party chose a fighter rather than uh, you know, a log roller friendly uh, Boy Scout. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I think Republicans 
can actually handle a loss pretty well because it's part of the conservative mindset. You play by the rules you lost. You accept your loss with some dignity. You don't flip over the game board. I, I think that would apply here, too. I think that Republicans would accept a loss of Donald Trump, even though there's so many high emotions, if it felt like it was a clean loss if it felt like it was a loss on election night by a significant margin. I'm worried that Joe Biden is going to win through this legal jiggery-pokery. I'm worried that they're going to, I mean, the people who would literally accuse Brett Kavanaugh of being a rapist, that's how extreme they would go. The people who say they will pack the court, the people, well, of course they'll pack the ballot box by using mail-in. So my point is, I think Republicans are going to wind up losing. I think Joe Biden's going to wind up winning through this trickery. But I think it's going to so poison the well that Republicans who normally would say, well, we lost, like they did in 2008, 2012, are now going to be turned against the system in a way that I don't know has ever happened before. What do you think of that? I think that's one possibility. I think it's too early to say. And... I am resisting any kind of speculations about that just yet. I think it's very, very early. People are emotional. People are tired. Many people were up very late. And it's very hard for me to sense the feelings of other Republicans, except through social media. And of course, the people on social media are always the people with the strongest opinions. So it's very hard to know. I will say this. I always try to look forward at what we can do now. And... Let's look at the election slightly differently. The Democrat and Republican voters each defeated, can be said to have defeated what they believed was the worst aspect of the other side. Republicans, for example, won Florida largely on the strength of their opposition to Black Lives Matter and their opposition to defund the police. Democrats are giving credit to Republicans for that. Democrats have, have said uh, openly that Black Lives Matter cost them the support of many Hispanic voters in Florida. And that with uh, other socialist elements of the Democratic Party agenda really turned off Cuban and Venezuelan voters who are a big part of the voter, a uh, big part of the electorate in Florida. So Republicans sent a message to Democrats that rioting, that def defund the police, these are not winning propositions in Hispanic communities. I mean, the Hispanic vote went uh, toward Trump in a big way. He didn't win it outright nationwide, but he certainly improved his performance and, and very markedly so in some places over defund the police. In a similar way, Ohio, which Joe Biden had hoped to win, went heavily for Donald Trump. And one of the reasons it went heavily for Donald Trump was Joe Biden's attack on the fossil fuel industry. Remember that Ohio and Pennsylvania are now enjoying a boom because of fracking. The Marcellus Shale uh, play over there has really revolutionized the economies of Ohio and Pennsylvania. It's given life to these rust belt cities and towns. And Trump stands for that industry and Biden stands against it. And Biden's performance in the last debate was something that Ohio rejected when, when Biden promised to transition from oil. So the voters repudiated those, those two uh, or three really extreme positions of Joe Biden. At the same time, look at the states that Trump lost uh, where he could have won, perhaps, or where he hoped to win. 
Uh, Arizona, he lost. What is Arizona? Well, Arizona, there are two important things about it, other than Latino voters. And, and actually, Trump did fairly well among Latino voters relative to 2016. So I don't think that was the reason. Uh, Trump lost among older and whiter voters. And there are a lot of retirees who've moved from the Northeast and the Midwest to Arizona, bringing their politics with them. So that may have affected things. But also, uh, Arizona is the old stomping ground of the late John McCain. And John McCain is the number one example that Joe Biden brings up and other people bring up when they want to talk about why they don't like uh, Donald Trump's style of politics, that he traded insults with John McCain. And Cindy McCain was part of the Biden team, essentially. Uh, Plus, there are uh, a lot of Mormons in Arizona, and Mitt Romney, who is very prominent in the Mormon community, was also a very prominent antagonist of Donald Trump. So the fact that Trump has a kind of rough demeanor may have cost him Arizona. Now, again, Arizona is still being counted as we speak, so he may yet end up winning Arizona, I should, I should say that. But it certainly made the race closer, I think, to have this ongoing feud with the McCain family and with Mitt Romney, even though... Trump didn't pick either one of those fights. They, they started them. Um, likewise with Minnesota, you know, we have this saying in, in the U.S., I'm sure you've heard it, uh, Minnesota nice. The idea that people from Minnesota are, are simply very polite, nice, uh, hardworking and tough and so forth, but Minnesota nice. And Trump is not Minnesota nice. <laughs> Trump is New York mean. And if that's what you didn't like about Trump, and that seemed to be the number one thing Democrats don't like about Trump is just his personality, Well, maybe it cost him Minnesota in an otherwise winnable election. So I would look at it this way. The vote yesterday was in some ways a repudiation of what Americans don't like about the respective parties and the respective candidates. In that contest, Republicans largely came out ahead. The Republicans were expected by the pollsters and the pundits and the Democrats to lose the Senate and to lose seats in the House. The opposite happened. Republicans have kept the Senate and have picked up seats in the House. In fact, there's some outside chance, as I speak, this could change, of course, there's an outside chance the Republicans win the House. So we could have a situation, or we will, it looks like we will have a situation of at least somewhat divided government if Biden wins the presidency. And that's a real achievement because it will prevent Joe Biden from doing many of the most destructive things that he promised to do in his manifesto and some of the things Democrats want him to do. And actually, it makes the internal fights among Democrats possibly even more intense because they're going to have to uh, figure out who's really in charge over there. Now, I say this again, the votes are not yet all counted. There's a lot of legal wrangling to come. And who knows what's going to happen in the next several weeks. I would just caution people to look on the bright side of things, be patient, and know that as Disappointing as many Trump supporters may feel, especially because many felt earlier in the evening that Trump was going to win, the worst did not happen last night. It really didn't. There were some bad things that happened. I think vote by mail is a disaster. I think the tech companies need to lose this election, and they didn't, at least not yet. And and that's very ominous for the future because they're censoring political discourse and so forth. And there's a lot lot to worry about if, if Trump does not return for a second term. But... Given where the media thought this was going to go, given what they expected to be a repudiation of Trump and his agenda, they lost and Republicans won. So I would look on the bright side and and think about how this can serve as the future basis for opposition. If Trump loses, he will not have been repudiated. He will have been robbed. That creates a very different political scenario than might have been the case if Democrats had had the blue wave they were hoping for. Hmm. 
Well, I appreciate you looking at the bright side of things. That's, uh, you're the only voice I've heard talking that way in the last 24 <laughs> hours. Um, well, that's my job, you know. That's why I live in California, because when all else fails, I can go swim with the dolphins on the beach, you know. That's right. I mean, you have to be a happy warrior if you're living in such a blue state. I know. I'm just getting this little update. I, I know this interview will air later, so everything may have changed by then. But uh, as we've been speaking the last two minutes, ABC News has retracted its call of Arizona for Joe Biden. Wow. So here we go. Wow. Yeah. Well, these are very interesting times. I... I was hopeful for Trump four years ago. He exceeded every expectation I had. Um, he was an outstanding president by policy. And I was remarking to one of our team the other day, I said, I don't know what Teddy Roosevelt was like as a, as a man. I would imagine he was gruff and rough and tough um, because his life seemed to be an expression of that. But the short answer is, who cares? Look what he accomplished. Look what he did as a man. I don't know what... George Washington's manners were like, maybe I should read a biography about him. But the idea that a fellow would lose because he wasn't Minnesota nice or he wasn't being gentle with the McCain um, widow. Uh, look, I understand it. But wouldn't that be something if the man who brought peace between Israel and three Arab regimes, the man who rebuilt the American military and got NATO to pay their own way, the man who finally checked China, the man who unleashed the oil and gas industry and made America energy independent. Wouldn't it be something if the man who achieved all these things was undone because of a daintiness? And so I feel like there is a great loss. And yes, well, well let me let me tell you something about that. Actually, um, it's a very interesting point. Because, first of all, Trump may not lose. This is something he's determined to fight. And again, as I said, things are changing hour by hour, minute by minute. Uh, if Arizona goes back to Trump, I've actually done some of the electoral math. And I'm not an expert, and I don't like to do this, actually. I, I can't stand it. But I did it just out of curiosity. If Arizona goes to Trump, and Trump holds Pennsylvania, and Trump wins Nevada, which is also possible, and I'm told the Biden people are, are privately conceding Nevada, but Biden wins Michigan and Wisconsin. We have a 269 to 269 tie in the Electoral College, an absolute deadlock tie. And then, my good man, we get into what I want, which is the House of Representatives. And <laughs> I am enjoying the prospect of seeing that happen because in my mind, it's the only legitimate way to settle an outcome like this. But on your point about Trump being a successful president and yet perhaps being shown the door because of his mannerisms. You mentioned Teddy Roosevelt. We forget because he's on Mount Rushmore, but we, we forget that Teddy Roosevelt lost his last presidential election. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt in, I think it was 1912, or yeah, I think it was 1912, either 1908 or 1912. I think it was 1912. Uh, he ran on a new party ticket called the Bull Moose Party. They were the progressive Republicans. And they believed in a kind of uh, muscular government that achieved things for ordinary people. And this was later repudiated by libertarian conservatives. But it's very much in the mold of Donald Trump. He split from his party and he ran on the bull moose ticket and he lost. And that's how Teddy Roosevelt left politics. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson, whom I know you also admire and enjoy reading, wrote a brilliant book called The Case for Trump. I think that's what it's called. And at the end, Victor Davis Hanson, who has a deep grounding in the classics, 
and in the Greek heroes, talks about Trump as the Western hero or really the Western anti-hero and describes the plot of the typical Western movie when an outlaw comes into town to clean up the town because the sheriff can't and the people are terrified and the bandits keep coming by and robbing the bank and plundering the homes and so forth. So they make this outlaw the new sheriff and he cleans up the town because he's willing to do what nobody else will. But in the end, the outlaw is sent away again. The people reject the outlaw. They don't like him permanently governing. governing, uh, and, and he rides off into the sunset. And Victor Davis Hanson, who, I, who predicted Trump would, would win in 2020, and he still might, um, also said that the likeliest outcome for the Trump presidency one day is a repudiation or at least a rejection by the very people he helped for reasons that seemed ridiculous at the time and it fits the the Greek hero or the Western hero, the, the man who cleaned up the town, the man who saved the city, uh, but was too heroic to remain within it. Hmm. Well, that's a very dramatic and interesting way to look at it. I just wish that that <laughs> send off what happened in 2024 rather than. Yeah, I agree with you. There's so much work <laughs> left to be done. Yeah. And I think the scariest thing you said was that the social media companies did not lose this election. And in fact, they're flexing their muscles even today, censoring six times Trump. I, I, find, I find that ominous. And there's certain swings of the pendulum that do not swing back. There's certain things that do not come back. It's a ratchet, not a pendulum. The, na the naturalization and an amnesty of tens of millions of illegal aliens. Certain freedoms once lost, never won again. Texas going blue. There are certain things that once happened don't come back again. And America is such a rare anomaly. And um, I'm, I'm worried for it as an admirer of America. I'm going to try and look at things in the bright side, and I will take your advice that it's not done yet. I'd love that outcome you described of 269 to 269. All I would say is uh, good luck down there and good luck to Breitbart, which has such an important role. Thanks for being with us today on this very busy day. You should rather, you should rather wish luck to our opponents because we have survived everything and we will survive this also. <laughs> Fair deal, my friend. Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thank you. All right, there you have it, Joel Pollack, Senior Editor-at-Large at Breitbart.com. Stay with us, more ahead. Well, what do you think of the election? I mean, obviously, we care about Canada. It's our home and native land. But what happens in America is very momentous, especially these days with such a stark choice. Uh, the winner of this election will impact our lives here, I believe, as much as the winner of our own election. Last night, Sheila Gunn-Reed and I and the rest of the Rebel Talent did a almost nine-hour live stream. And we had about 300,000 viewers of our live stream last night. It was pretty exciting. I wonder if you were... One of our viewers, if so, thank you for that. Well, we're going to keep covering the news in the United States, but also here in Canada, our home. And we're going to cover it in a way that tells the other side of the story. Well, that's still allowed, at least. All right, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, and you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.